8.35, for whoever finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Um, I've been talking to the Lord about where we're heading in the Word now for a very long time. In fact, when, uh, when Lisa and I first came to the church, and I think they were pretty close to right about nine years ago, um, when we first came to, to pastor the church, I, I spent quite a bit of time in a discussion with the Lord before that, okay, if I'm supposed to go, go lead this group of people, why? Lord, what is it that you, know, what is it you want to do? And the Lord gave me very clear vision and word for what was supposed to become foundational for, for our role as leaders here. And of course, that somehow leaks into the way we lead. And, um, um, and over the last probably maybe 18 months or 24 months, the Lord has, has suggested that it not be a good idea for me to, to go back and cover some of that territory again. And in preparation for that, the Lord said, but this first. So today is kind of foundational for where we're going to go over the next few weeks as we talk about um, the Lord's um, some, some very foundational things for us as a church family and, and, and from the Lord. But today was a surprise to me in where, where the Lord wanted to go. So Let's pray as we get into the word. Lord, um, we, we know that there's only one thing that you honor higher than your name, and it's your word. And as we walk into it today, we, we fully anticipate that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to us, not because of the vessel of delivery, but because your spirit loves us and because you do honor your word. So Lord, as we get into this now, we pray that God, the meat of your word would remain and the chaff would just blow away. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. So... I mean, how often, um, you don't have, I ask a lot of rhetorical questions, I'm going to ask a lot of them today, you don't have to show hands. I mean, how often do you think about your own healing? You know, maybe, maybe there are things going on in your soul right now, and you feel under so much strain that you don't think about anything else. Or maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum, and, and you view yourself basically as whole and healthy, and so um, you really aren't in need of healing. Either way, I think uh, I would ask you to be open to consider that no matter where you are, no matter what stage of life, we can all go a step further in healing than we presently are. Otherwise, the Lord would be done with us, and I don't want the Lord to be done with me. And um, there's so much that Jesus wants to, to, to give to us, to take us deeper. And sometimes we have some roadblocks that are wounds. They're the hard things down in our soul that need healing first. And we think that before we are ready to go there with him, some, sometimes there's an area of life that's really hard or it's re really, really big. And sometimes it's just that the Lord just wants to take us a little bit further. He just wants to nudge us to the next place, whatever that is. This last week, Lisa and I um, had the privilege, it was really kind of, I, I wasn't sure what would happen, but we had the privilege of taking our two oldest granddaughters to um, swim lessons. They'd never been to swim lessons, and um, you just don't know what you have on your hands when you take a child to swim lessons. Anybody here ever done that? You've taken your kids to swim lessons? You know, maybe they're going to be little fish. Hold that picture up there for a minute. And maybe they're going to be absolutely, I'm not getting in that water, no way, no how. Um, that's Bella, same little girl with the Mickey Minnie Mouse hat a few minutes ago. And um, we're at the pool, and they've called her in, and I'm not going in that water, no way, no how kind of a thing was going on there. And so Lisa was trying to persuade her, and, um, and then I had a swing at it, and um, you know, it, it, was, it was hard because she just was had the fear, a fear to trust, a fear of what's going to happen, what's going to go on in there. And then over time, the instructor led these two little ones from this place of fear to eventually they were insisting on going first with the next exercise. 
And um, so I won't bore you with a lot here, but um, this is a, 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 about five or 10 minutes later um, after I'm not going in that pool to, I mean, her face smile muscles are about to break here. And, um, you know, what's remarkable is this. These little girls went from a place of, I'm not getting in that water, to a place where they just decided to put absolute trust in this instructor. It was a young woman. I don't know how old she was, early 20s, I'd say, um, maybe late teens. And she was this trained swim instructor, and she had those girls in the pool. And here's the thing. They were in the pool where they could not touch. They did not walk down in and stay in pool where if they just did this thing with the tippy toes where you could always keep your... There was none of that. The, they spent almost an entire hour in the pool, unable to touch. They were in over their head the whole time. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, they sold out to the idea that I'm going to trust this person in the pool. Now, there were some great teaching techniques, and I watched some of these things that were going on, and um, you know, I, I thought, man, it's, um, you know, it, it's, 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 there's none of this. I'm only going to go into the depth where I still have control. It was in or not in. And um, I thought, wow, that's great. That's where the Lord wants to take you and me today. He wants to take us to the depth of the pool where our toes don't touch so we can't trust in ourselves instead of him. And uh, we're going to start today in Genesis 2. And the reason I want to start there is that I think it helps to know where we went wrong before we try to get healing. So, um, as, and, 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 and to know what went wrong, we've got to know this. What was it that God was wanting from his image bearers in those first days at the very beginning. What was, what was, what was this call? What was this commission? What, what, wh- why and why did all of that fracture? So we need to know the problem before we can get in there. So let's consider the f- very first command that we see the Lord give, and that's found in Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. They got a job to do. Right off, he gives them a job to do. Very first thing, they've got this, this to tend and to keep it. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay. Ever since the very first time I ever read this story, it doesn't make sense. My quirky mind starts going, like, what is going on here? I mean... Okay, God, you built this beautiful, amazing, spectacular, how do we describe it place? Think of the most beautiful place you've ever been, and this beats it hands down. He builds this place, puts them in it, and then somehow inside the, the, the sandbox, inside the playpen, he puts something and says, now don't touch that. <laughs> why? God, if they're not supposed to touch it, why did you put it right in the middle of the playpen? <laughs> Am I the only one that's kind of quirky going, or do you, I guess I'm the only one. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, but I, I believe the reason why, I mean, it, the scriptures don't really tell us, you can come up with all kinds of reasons, and they're probably just as right as where I'm going to go with this, but I think we get a clue from why God did this um, from the title or the name of this tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now, this isn't a trick. When you eat that tree, what do you get? Knowledge of good and evil, right? And if you do not eat of the tree, what do you lack? Knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so God gives these, these, these people a job, tend and keep. 
They're supposed to create and cultivate this area. They're supposed to somehow take dominion over the earth. And, and presumably to do that, there are some mistakes that can be made, some right ways, some wrong ways. You've got to have some knowledge about that. And they don't have it, and they can't get to it. What's that? God gave them something to do, but didn't give them the tools they need to succeed. Does that sound like the character? Does it sound like the character of God to me? They need that knowledge, right? And they got to have that. So where are they going to get that knowledge if not from the tree? Answer is from God, right? God, God, God from the very beginning calls us to intimacy. He's not trying to be arbitrary um, with this command. He actually, it's actually a call to closeness. Closeness. This passage from the very beginning of the first pages, pages of Scripture points out something that you already know. There are two possible roads, two, two, possible, two, two different possible directions that you will choose. You're going to choose one of them to travel. We all make those choices. One, you can choose to be your own God, your own king. And it will not end well. Um, a lot of us have experience with that. <laughs> or God says, you can lean on me. You can lean on God in full and utter dependence. And it's going to work out well. You step into the pool too deep for your toes to hold you up. And there will be shalom. There will be peace. And everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. Those are the two possible options here for people. Um, you know, our four granddaughters are all still young. And I, by the way, I get permission from parents, their parents, before I show pictures and tell stories about them. But, um, but, but they're all still at an age where if, um, if their parents weren't there for them all the time, they wouldn't be able to survive. You know, young children have to have su supervision and upbringing all the time, or they can't. Those girls have to fully depend on mom and dad for everything, protection, shelter, food, all that kind of stuff, right? They couldn't make it on their own. Where Lisa and I live, we watch... You know, does give birth to fawns, and, and like, they're dumb as a brick. <laughs> and they'll walk out right in front of a car. Um, and I don't know if their moms are any smarter because they lead them up to the road's edge or something. I don't know. But, but our children, the children when they're young, they, they absolutely, and that's a picture of, of, of what God wants from us. We, he wants us to put him in a place where if he doesn't come through, we wouldn't be able to survive and, and the, th the good news is, he always comes through. That's the good news. So we put ourselves in that position where we, where we have to lean on him, where, um, you know, for the knowledge of good and evil, to, to know and to lead us and to guide us and to be our counselor. From the very beginning, um, there have been these two choices. The question is, what road are you on? What road is Terry on? What road are you on? What direction are we headed? Here's some Bible trivia. I mean, I think it's trivia, but it's relevant to me because it forms a pattern. You know, when God drove them out of the garden, do you know, maybe you don't know, um, which direction he drove them out? The answer is to the east. He drove them, the scripture says that he drove them out to the east. And um, you've heard the phrase east of Eden, and it's a scripture in it. That idea east of Eden is this, it's now become this cultural concept of walking away from God, of walking away from your creator, walking away from intimacy with our creator. And, and that pattern seems to come up in the Old Testament, in the scriptures again and again and again. Cain kills his brother Abel, and it says he gets banished further towards the east. Lot departs from Abram, Abraham, and uh, clearly that was the disobedient choice in, in, his, in that story. And he goes east. The story of, of human pride and rebellion, the building of the Tower of Babel, that whole group of people were migrating east. 
away from God. This pattern uh, in Scripture is what it looks like when we keep walking away from the garden. You know, it's, it's um, it, all these examples of going east, of people saying, I can do it. I've got this. I'm okay without you, Lord. It, it never works out well. Yet they go further and further and further into dry land, into desert, and they go further and further away um, and away from the garden, away from the oasis, away from intimacy, away from the beauty. In the next chapter after Babel, um, we, we'll run into this character named Abram who later becomes Abraham, and, and he's referred to as the father of faith for good reason, and you study him as a character, you know, and the reason that he's called that is because he's the first one who says, no, 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 I'm going to trust God. I'm going to lean into God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe. And, and, and God um, calls him to leave everything that he knows at one point and say, you know, go to this unknown place. And Abraham says, okay. Wow, that's crazy. That's faith. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. But Lord, I trust you. I trust your heart for me. And so I'm going to go. I'm just going to go. Why? Because I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Scripture actually says that Abraham went a specific direction. Take a guess which way it was. West. He went west. He specifically goes back towards the direction of the garden. He's going back towards the place of walking with his creator. He's going back towards intimacy. Another example that you'll see in Scripture is, is, the, is both the, the tabernacle and the temple. God gave very, very explicit directions about the construction of both of them. And in both instances, he said to them, place the entrance facing east. So when people walk into the temple, walk into the tabernacle, they're going west. They're going towards the Lord. It's interesting also, I, I'm, I don't want to make a theological case of this, it's just interesting to note that the Lord also had them decorate the inside with all kinds of images of trees and leaves and flowers. Sounds like a garden to me. And um, it's interesting. But God wants to bring us to this place, bring us back to this place of shalom, this place of beauty, of intimacy and healing. The question, of course, for today is obvious, are you on that trajectory? Because living by faith... Living by trust puts you on that trajectory. It puts you on a, a course of encounter with the Lord. Or you can say, I got this. I can do it. I'm, I'm the boss of me. <laughs> I don't need... I mean, um, I mean and, and then that road just leads further and further and further away from him. Not to joy, not to intimacy, not to life. And all of this was God's design from the very beginning. Two trajectories, two roads. Which one are you on? Which decisions are you making? What road are you choosing? In, 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 the, Bible, in the study of the Bible, if you do that much, you'll, you'll encounter someone who will mention to you, so it'll be me today, something called the rule of firsts. When you see the first time something happens, the first time God says something, the first time God does something, the first, 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 it's just always really good to pay attention. There's usually something important going on. And so God's first response to sin is particularly, I think it's a big deal. Sin enters the world and um, the, the, the people go east and the peace, the shalom is broken. And then God has to address this issue with sin. What's he going to do? What's his first response? And he had, would you agree he had every right to just say, okay, I'm starting over. Clear the table, snap, you're gone. I'll start over with something different. He, he could have done that, right? 
Obviously, he didn't do it. We're here. Thank you, Lord. And he could have said, what are you, what are you thinking? I put you in the garden. I told you what to do. You lasted, what, three verses? <laughs> or some number of verses. <laughs> okay. So, but, but that's not what happens. The very first thing God does as reaction to sin is this. He asks a question. Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, this might be one of the weirdest things in Scripture, too. Because if you understand about God, does he really need to ask any questions? Does he, does he not know where? He knows where Adam is. He's asking this question, where are you? Okay, I'm, I mean, why is he asking that question? I, th- I think he doesn't need the answer. I believe he's asking that question because he wants Adam to hear the answer. You know, he's saying, Adam, do you know where you are now? That's God's first response to sin. First response to sin is not condemnation. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's God moving toward Adam and Eve. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? It's like this father, this this father's heart crying out. Why are you hiding? You don't have to run. Verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Then comes a second question. And he said, boy, this is great parenting, by the way. You parents, when you have an encounter with your kids, ask questions. Anyway, and he said, God says this to Adam, who told you you were naked? First question, where are you? Second question is, who told you you were, you were naked? Who, who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you you were condemned? Who told you to hide? Because that was not my voice from the very beginning. My voice from the beginning was intimacy. It was was walking with you. It was knowing you. What voice do you listen to? Here's, Here's a barometer of whether the voice you're listening to is God. It's one barometer. How do you know it's the Lord's voice? If the voice is calling you out of hiding there's a good chance that that's the Lord. But if the voice is putting you into isolation, if it's putting you into condemnation, if it's it's putting you into a place where there's no life, that's definitely not the voice of the Lord. Those are not the characters of God. God's voice calls us out of hiding. And is that the voice that you know? Is that the voice that you've been listening to? Not a lot has changed, I think, (laughs) since this event in the garden. God's still asking that same question. And we're still hiding. You know, he's saying, where are you? Why are you hiding? So much of the time we use our life and our jobs and our money just to cover up. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. That I can do this on my own. On my own. I don't need you. And, and, and I, I know, I understand, we feel vulnerable. We, we feel shame. We say, I got to hide more. I've, I, I got to put on a mask. And some of us will go to our deathbeds wearing a mask. You know, we wear a mask, we, we crop and edit ourselves, we put our best foot forward, just check out social media, we <laughs> create images. You know, there's a thing now about, um, you know, these fake images of you being on vacation. I know none of you would do that. You'd actually go on vacation. That's good for you. <laughs> and it can get to the point where um, if you do it long enough that you start to believe your own press. <laughs> the thing is, God doesn't want us on that treadmill. 
He doesn't. By the way, treadmills are terrible. I mean, you just, you're running and you're running and you're running and you're getting nowhere. <laughs> you, get, you, get, you get nowhere, right? So I'm just, I'm on a treadmill, I'm fighting and I'm fighting just really to stay in the same place I am. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm burned out. All of that just to keep up and act. At the same time, the voice of God is calling us out of hiding. And way, way back in the Old Testament, we get this description of how, how people, the people of God respond to that question, where are you? Are they going to listen to him or are they going to not listen? We could summarize the Old Testament. You know, I mean, I mean, this is way unfair to summarize the word of God, but for the sake of time, uh, I'm going to summarize the entire Old Testament for you in a few sentences. The cre- at the beginning, creation is cracked. It's fractured. It's broken. And here's the thing. God does not throw it away. I love that. God promises, he, 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 he makes this promise to Abraham. He says that he's going to put the world back together. Oh, and by the way, Abraham, I'm going to use you and your family to make it happen. He says, I'm going to use the very people who broke it to fix it. That's, that's grace by any measure. There's grace going on. So Abraham's lineage turns into Israel, and all along these descendants of Abraham think that they're the solution, but every step of the way, they're actually realizing that they're, they're, they're part of the problem, not the solution. And then, um, but so, something deeper has, something, there's something deeper and bigger going on here. Sin has caused this huge fracturing of the cosmos. The, the, the peace is gone. And as you study the, the Old Testament, you realize, you know, even about them, not only about them, but about ourselves, uh-oh, we're infected. We're infected. The book of Isaiah um, gets into this, this it's, it's, it's actually a terrific book that describes how God sees sin, how serious it is. And you know, basically, if you read the book of Isaiah, you'll realize you, me, everybody, we're all sick. We're all messed up a little bit. And that sin has done that to us. And, and, and because of that, we've got to find this deeper, we've got to find a more true healing. We need to find something deeper. The name Isaiah, by the way, literally means Yahweh is salvation. That's what the name Isaiah means. God is, and, and, and Isaiah, in his prophecies, he promises a Messiah. Somebody's going to come and actually fully put this mess back together. Somebody's going to come along. Not only are they going to clean it up on the outside, they're going to clean it up on the inside. It's not going to be hidden. There will be scars. And there's going to be resurrection, and there's going to be new life great book, the book of Isaiah. This promised suffering servant is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He shows up, everything's different. He's got a different power about him. You know, I think sometimes <laughs> we, we conjure up these images of Jesus as this fairy dust pictured hippie with really nicely conditioned hair. <laughs> but Jesus is as powerful in the sense of who he is and what he came to do. The power of who he is and what he came to do is a topic upon which we should just kind of sit and steep a little bit. We should just marinate in that and understand that, who he is and what he came to do. Every time when you read the stories of Jesus, every time you you see someone come into physical contact with him, they become clean. You see this over and over. It's an interesting study. study. I won't go there today, but look and see when people touched people, what happens. It's, it's crazy. Not crazy in a bad way, but it's pretty amazing. There's, there's this resurrection power in him. 
It's, it's like it overflows. And anytime he touches somebody, it leaks out. Are you reaching out to touch that? I mean, I think, I think we can too often live with an Old Testament perspective. I, I'm just too dirty for God. I'm unclean. I'm, I'm not good enough. If that's how you think, God's question to you is this. Who told you you were naked? The belief that you're too dirty for God is an understand, misunderstanding of who Jesus is. You can't be too, too dirty for God. You cannot sin enough that grace can't go far enough to deal with it. You, you cannot sin big enough that grace cannot say to you, I see you, I'm going to clean you, I'm going to redeem you. Luke, um, in the book of Luke, um, tells a story about this woman who had been sick for years. Luke chapter 8, verse 42. As he went, this is Jesus, as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped and Jesus said, who touched me? <laughs> what a scene. I didn't do it. I didn't, you know, like, like it's a bad thing to touch Jesus. I, I didn't touch him. Peter and all those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? That Pete. <laughs> he's he's, he's, he's kind of nuts. <laughs> he, 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 but Jesus said, somebody touched me because I perceive power going out of me. Wow, she only touched the hem of his garment. There was actual glory there. And when they touched him, they became clean. Have you reached out and touched Jesus? <laughs> touched him. Not only to find salvation where you walk with him, but touching him because of those broken and hard parts in the heart. Maybe the part that nobody knows about. The, the, the part that you maybe never told anyone. The parts that really hurt, that are tender and sensitive. Have you let him touch that part? Because sometimes the places that we hide the most are the places that we need that touch the most. Lisa and I were hiking um, up in the up the mountains, and um, don't want to draw attention to her. Don't look at her. Oh, see, as soon as I said that, I saw many of you turn and look. Okay, um, I'm in trouble now, and I don't know why I said that. So just keep going. Okay, so Lisa had um, <clears throat> she had a terrible. Um, downhill skiing accident. They did surgery. Years later, they said, okay, new knee, did new knee. And in the process of all of that and do, doing the surgery, they, um, they must have nicked a nerve or something because she's got a section right on the front of her knee with not a lot of feeling. So we're hiking. She stumbled over a root or something. It was dusty, dirty up in the Tetons. And, and um, um, when she got, got up, she didn't realize it, but there was... <laughs> This is gross. A big old flap of skin was kind of, you know, and blood was going down the leg. She didn't know. She was hurting. <laughs> it's like, and it was kind of a dirty, dusty mess. Well, the thing was, we were way up in the Thule's at this point, way up in the backside of a, of, a, of a, we were way off, way, a long ways from a car. We had no choice but to, to hike out. So we finished our hike, and we get, and I go find a ranger, and I said, hey, can you fix this? And they said, oh, that's, a, go take her to the clinic, because, you know, there was like a dirt inside there. It was pretty icky. And, um, Kind of a real cool Frankenstein. If you're a little boy, you would have loved it. You know? <laughs> so we go, to the, we go to this clinic in town, and there's been dirt in there for several hours now. I mean, I don't mean a piece of dirt. I mean like a yard of dirt inside of her knee. And they took quite a while to clean that out. 
before any healing could happen, they needed to clean that wound. Because if they don't clean it, it can become infected. And if you have a wound that gets infected, you can actually die from it. Covering it up just doesn't help. And some of us, you know, maybe that's, that's a picture of us spiritually. How many of us have these deep wounds, deep maybe spiritual wounds, where don't, don't put any hands up. Um, I, our normal reaction is just to cover it up. It's a place you don't want to tell anybody about it. And if anybody would touch that tender nerve, you cringe. You, it's this, it's, don't touch that. I'm not going to show you that. What would that, maybe, maybe you're fine, but maybe what's that thing in your life that when your close friend gets close to it, you say, back up, back up. I don't want to share that. I, I, I don't want to be honest with you about that. It's, I can't be that vulnerable. And here's the thing. Covering it up doesn't help. Does not help. If it's bad enough, you can get an infection from it and you can die. You can actually die from an infection. By the way, that's why people sometimes in their 30s or 40s or 50s, and all of a sudden their marriage just blows up. Why? Because they didn't deal with something that was infected back when they were 18. Or, and after all those years, it rears its ugly head, and everybody goes, what happened? Well, it never really got unhe- unhealed or uncovered, cleaned up, and healed. May, may we be people who are willing to bring those wounds to the king. He can clean them. Jesus can clean them. And I know they might be big. And I know they might be hard. And I would never want to stand up here and minimize the pain. And I come to the moment in a, in a, in a, in a message like this, and I think, you know, Terry, you're, you're intentionally sticking your finger down onto nerves. And I know, that, I know in a crowd this size, there are going to be some real tender spots. And I, I don't mean to hurt anybody. Forgive me for that. I just want you to get help. I want you to get to the king. I want you to get to healing. And I know in a group this size, there's probably some really deep stuff present in this room. Statistically, I know that there's, there are people here struggling with shame and with guilt and with hurt. Things have happened. Violations, abortions, broken trust, mean-spirited, things that have just wounded. And we hide. And maybe that's all of us, or maybe that's most of us, or maybe that's some of us. Deep wounds. But there's deep healing in Jesus. There's nothing that cannot be healed by the Lord Jesus. I, I pray that you'll take, uh, take that place and, and, and reach out and touch him. He's reaching out and touching you. He's coming for you, and he's asking, where are you? Will you come out of hiding? When you touch him, he makes you clean, and, and you find that healing. There's a Japanese um, art form called kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, kintsugi. And uh, the, it's two Japanese words. Kin means gold. Tsugi means joinery, gold joinery. And it's, a, um, it's, a, it's an art form where they would take a broken piece of pottery and mend it and, um, rather than throwing it away. And your pots or cups or uh, bowls that become damaged, the, the, the idea is they shouldn't just be neglected and tossed out. They should be restored. They should be cared for with respect and with attention. 
So you take this broken bowl or this plate and whatever it was, and through this lengthy and careful process, leave that picture up for a couple minutes, would you? Okay. And, and, and with, it gets, you, you take a, this mixture of very, very strong lacquer, which will glue the pieces together, but you don't stop there. They typically sprinkle it with gold dust. Sometimes silver, sometimes platinum, but mostly gold because of its luminescent quality. And, and, and you just put it back together. And when it's repaired, you can obviously see the actual place where it was fractured before. Not only is there no attempt to hide the damage, but the repair actually illuminates the repair. It draws attention. I was broken here, and now I'm fixed. Look at it. It's beautiful kind of a thing. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at Jesus. The world tells you if you're broken, you get thrown away. You're discarded. We don't need you. You can't do anything for us anymore. Out you go. That's what the world says. But Jesus says, I want to heal you. And the very, very place that you were broken, in that place that I heal, that's going to become the most glorious part about you. And you can see his glory. You can actually see his life in that very place of the healing. You can actually see it. I think sometimes we think to ourselves, I, I, I can't tell my story. If you have found healing by the Lord, you can tell your story. You know? it, and it's a beautiful story. Just like that bowl or that plate, you, you, actually, you actually become more valuable because you've been healed by Jesus, because you've been touched by Jesus, by touched by the Lord. Every one of us, we all have wounds, but have you found healing in them? When a wound finds healing, it usually turns into a scar. <laughs> you know, while it's still a wound, it hurts. It's sensitive. It's painful. We cringe if it gets touched. But a scar, not so much hurt anymore. In fact, sometimes a scar, we try to hide them. We're embarrassed about them. But many times, it's not necessarily. And, and usually, a scar tells a story, Right? Maybe that's a dude thing. You know, hey, here's where I fought a great white shark. I don't know. But usually a scar tells a story. I got some scars. Some of them, you know, if you look closely, you'd be able to find them and they fade over time. Some of them you can't, you would never know about them unless I told you about them because they're down inside. But they've been healed. And now they tell a story. Now they're not so sensitive. Now they're, I don't cringe anymore, and I can tell my stories. Could it be possible that that's what Jesus wants to do with you and your wound? Because when your wound becomes a scar, you can tell people how good he is. You can tell people what he's done. You can't do that with an unhealed wound because you hide it. You, 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 you cringe, you cover it up. But if you find healing, that actually become, can become the very way to start telling other people about the Lord. The word that we use in church to do that is called witness. It's basically telling other people, hey, look what Jesus did. Look, look where he healed me. Look, look at how good he is. Look at how he, he heals people. That's actually how he wants to use us. I think he wants to use us through our scars. The very place that we've been healed usually turns into the place of his glory. 
I think the hard part with that is sometimes I think, you know, I, I, I don't really know if I want to go towards healing because it just messes with me. It affects me. Do you realize, though, that you not finding healing can actually create these spiritual ripples where what if God wants to actually use you to heal the next person down the line and you're holding that up? But you're not finding healing. Do you realize how many other people that maybe you're affecting and you can't, um, you can't help them because you've not submitted your wounds to the Lord to heal them? I'm going to end with a really odd story in the Bible. Another odd story. It's about these guys on this road to Emmaus. Now, the reason I'm going to share this story is because um, I, I think sometimes we think healing will come to me if I read the Bible more, if I get more theological knowledge, if I um, check off more things on my religious checklist, okay? Um, but that's not where healing comes from. You have to sit at the feet of Jesus to find healing. And there's a big difference between knowledge and intimacy. The healing power of Jesus is a person, and that power is flowing from him. There has to be a relationship. Then all those things are good, theological knowledge, getting the word, you should do those kinds of things. But at the end of it, there has to be a person at the other end. Luke 24 is this weird story. Jesus has been resurrected now, and he comes walking along. These two guys are out walking on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. Scripture says they were blocked from recognizing him. And um, they're kind of downcast, and Jesus says, hey, why are you guys so bummed? And they're, um, they actually rebuke Jesus, which is down how... Well, that works out for you. It doesn't work out too well for me. Um, but he says, why are you guys so bummed? And they kind of rebuke him. He says, hey, hey, are you kidding? Where have you been? Have you not been paying attention? Did you hear what just unraveled around here a couple of days ago? Now, because Jesus was um, crucified, he, he, his dying under the Roman rule was a very public spectacle. And it was a pretty big deal. Didn't you just see what happened? I mean, we, we just wasted the last three years of our lives. I mean, that's basically the attitude here. What do you mean, why are we bummed? By the way, in their day, a crucified Messiah was no good to you at all. A crucified Messiah, Messiah was zero, okay? So they had no context for what was going on here. And they said, we wasted the last three years of our life. And Jesus, of course, rebukes them right back. Oh, foolish ones. <laughs> and he starts from, Scripture says, the law to the prophets, using the Old Testament with them to share the gospel. Can you do that? Can you share the gospel from the Old Testament alone? Because there was no New Testament, and Jesus had to share with them. He's walking along with them, and he's sharing the good news. It's possible to do. You should, you should get that skill. It's a, good, it's a good skill set to have. And he's explaining to them, using everything from the law and the prophets. By the way, the law is the first five books uh, of the Old Testament. The prophets is everything except uh, literature and poetry. So it's basically what all the prophets said in the first five laws. Okay. So he's sharing with them the good news. He's sharing to them that these things had to happen. This was supposed to happen the whole time. You guys just weren't paying attention. You guys were reading your scriptures, but you weren't seeing it. He's, he's walking along with Jesus Christ himself. is walking along with these guys. says page by page, Bible study. He's their personal Beth Moore walking on the road with them. <laughs> and this is supposed to happen the whole time. This is supposed to happen. You guys weren't paying attention. And um, wow, 
They're getting a Bible study. And you'd think that, you know, this is going on. The heavens would actually crack open and, um, and it would just be this insane moment and confetti would be falling and the whole thing, God himself revealed in the flesh, walking with them, describing the scriptures, right there in person, nothing happens. No lights go on, nobody's home. Have you ever shared the good news with somebody and nothing happens? Don't get discouraged by that. They're just on the road still. They haven't got there yet. The Holy Spirit has to get in there and do what the Holy Spirit does. You realize that you can never intellectually persuade someone to salvation? It's not possible. If you could persuade somebody intellectually to salvation, you wouldn't need Jesus. I know you people have amazing horsepower in your heads, but it's the Spirit that saves. So don't get discouraged when you share the gospel and the lights don't come on. You plant the seed, let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Don't worry about the part that you're not supposed to do anyway. Hours later, they're just about home. And they basically say, hey, stay for a meal. Um, uh, Verse 29, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's evening, it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him. He sits down, he breaks the bread, he gives thanks, and in an instant, their eyes are open. What? (laughs) So the Bethmore personal Bible study, nothing. The whole Bible, page by page by page, nothing. Jesus breaks some bread in half, and the angels show up, and the trumpets, I mean, I'm now Hollywoodizing this thing, but like, Am I the only one that thinks, like, what happened here? What's Jesus trying to communicate? What's going on here? It's a picture of of, of two ways, one right and one wrong, of how we try to follow Jesus. How many of us, you know, maybe we've tried to be the first people where, if only Jesus could show up in my room. If only Jesus could show up with all the answers. If only Jesus could show up with all the facts and give me all the theology then I'll be okay as soon as I get a personal explanation from the creator. That's pretty extreme, but that's where most of us perch. I need God to show it, speak, show it to me. I need God to speak this to me. So man, that's what we dream for. If only he could show up in my life and fill in the blank. <laughs> but Jesus wants the second approach. To be a follower of mine, he's saying, sit with me. Share a meal with me commune with me. The first one says, Jesus, give me all the answers so that I won't need you. The second one says, I just want you. I just want to sit at the table with you, Lord. Do you want the right answers from Jesus, or do you want to actually sit at the table with the king? Because that's the invitation. The invitation is a feast. The invitation is a wedding party. Come dine with me. Sit with me. Know me get to know him for the rest of time. May we be people that when God asks the question, where are you? Our answer will be, I'm sitting right here next to you, Lord. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I'm going to mention this to you that at the end of all of our services, there are leaders up front who they burn in their soul just to pray with people. They don't want to know all your secrets. Share them, don't share them. That's not the point. The point is they want to pray with you and for you. And... um, They'll be up here again at the end of the service in a few minutes. It's not a time for you to go get counseling. 
It's a time for you just to go up to someone and say, yeah, my heart's broken. That's all I can share. They will take that and run with it to the king. And you'll be prayed for. Or you can share whatever you want. But go get, let somebody pray with you. Let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you for the scriptures, God. But even more than that, I want to thank you for fellowship and relationship with you, God. Drive that home into our souls by the power of your spirit. Let, over, let, let an overflow of healing come upon us, Lord, as our intimacy with you increases. Because that's where healing comes from. Healing comes from the power of being so close to you, Lord, that it starts to wash off on us. Father, we thank you so much for that. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.